Kiora, and welcome to another edition of the GeoDorable podcast with your hosts Chris Morris and Mark Thompson. For more information on this episode, visit the GeoDorable page on Facebook. Hello there, Chris. Hello, Mark. How are you on this uh, wonderful, what is it, Tuesday evening? Tuesday evening. I am fantastic. And yourself, Chris? Not too bad, yeah. You know, it's been a long day, but um, always uh, high energy for this podcast, that's for sure. Well, this is a super exciting podcast. Two exciting things happened on this podcast. Uh, indeed. What's the first one, Mark? First one is our 50th birthday. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so this is our 50th episode. Um, yeah. Who'd have thought it would have get this far, Mark? <laughs> yeah, when we're planning uh, planning it in the uh, in the uh, vendor center in uh, Singapore. Yeah, I remember it well. <laughs> the food, the beer, the the locals. It was great. It was, and this is the world's number one geospatial podcast, uh, based in New Zealand for all hmm. things geospatial, location intelligence, location analysis, uh, GIS. Yeah, yeah, of course. Bit of uh, you know, bit of technology thrown in there, Internet of Things. I mean, machine learning and AI is all the uh, all the rage. So we better throw that in there as well. <laughs> well, yeah, ge- geography applied. And speaking of applying geography, mm-hmm. what's the second most exciting thing? Second most? Maybe it's the first most exciting thing. What oh, first exciting, most. What other exciting thing is happening in this podcast? Well, we have a fabulous uh, interview. Mark. Fabulous. We do. We, do. we know it was fabulous because we were there. We were, both of us. It was good. <laughs> it was. And that's with Uber, Chris. As, other, as, our, as our listeners would have seen from social media, uh, we've had a chat to Uber about their data visualization, which is about location analysis tools. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, people may think Uber is just a really handy way to get around, um, but they've developed a whole suite of uh, geospatial tools. Um, and we talked to the lead developer on uh, Kepler GL. We do indeed. Um, before we get any to any further, deeper, any deeper, further into mm-hmm. the podcast, uh, let's just disclaim here that uh, the views and opinions of the, on this podcast are of our own and not of the people we work for or work with. Yeah, that's right, Mark, and that was an excellent explanation, as always. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, yeah, shall we get on with some news then? Yes, let's. Spatial news. Now, obviously, the biggest news of the week, Chris, is that we've turned fifty. Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 everywhere, all over social media, but then in stories in the local newspaper. Um, I think I saw an article on the BBC. That is quite possible. Um, BBC, maybe, maybe even CNN. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but. I think one thing we would like, uh, just to recognise our 50th status, is if you'd like to sponsor us. <laughs> That's news, free. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> we live in hope. Yeah, get in touch with us on geodorable.com or on Twitter, MyGeodorable, Facebook. A billion ways to get in touch with us. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you'd like a bit of promotion on the world's number one geospatial podcast based in New Zealand, uh, then get in touch. Uh, and with that, shall we have our, uh, our first news story, story Mark? Yes. Um, so what is it? Ah, so this is a good market survey. Now, we like a good market survey. We've covered a few in our time, yes, Mark? We do, We have. Um, and this one is the Global Geospatial Imagery and Analytics Matic, uh, Sorry. Start market, again. Come on. Global Geospatial Imagery Analytics Market Size Status and Forecast 2025. That's quite a mouthful, Mark. And it is quite a mouthful. Just about managed to fit it in. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't very uh, coherent. But anyway, I read the words. Uh, you did. Uh, and this is by um, Absolute Reports. Uh, yep. One of those kind of, you know, um, what do you call them? Gartner reporting type yeah. people. Um, this one is available for the price of $3,300. Excellent. Uh, New Zealand which- or US? I believe that's US. Okay, yeah. Um, but why why, why would you want to pay that much money for this report? Well, Chris, mm. uh, it studies the global geospatial imagery analytics market. Well, there you go. Uh, and re- especially on the geospatial imagery analytics development status. 
Um, and forecasts for United States, EU, which is now a country, uh, Japan, China, India, and Southeast <laughs> Asia. Uh, uh, indeed, yeah. And um, what, yeah. what were your takeaways from this report? I mean, obviously, um, you've spent $3,500 of your own money to, uh, to read this. Uh, I'm actually still waiting for the endorsement to say, hey, you guys should read this report. Uh, okay. free. But anyway, what I've taken away from the uh, from the snippets of information they've released is that they've studied a bunch of companies in the global market. So Hexacon, Digital Globe, uh, Earthercast, uh, Trimble, Google, uh, Google, a bunch of people. Um, and they're talking about how they're evolving in their market segmentation and all that sort of thing. What I thought was slightly interesting was they didn't talk about Esri. Okay, odd. Um, but then maybe Esri aren't actually a geospatial imagery analytics development company. Uh, but I would say they were. Yeah, I would have thought as well. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, it actually looks like quite an interesting report. If you're in this market, um, I'd suggest you actually spend the money and download it. Hmm. Because these reports, are, they're kind of few and far between. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I know what you mean. And There's other... Yeah. The other analysis companies that don't have that much comprehensive information about geospatial stuff. Yeah, specialized market, I guess. Maybe. So, yeah, look that up. We'll post some links. Um, but just in case uh, you want to Google it, it's the Global Geospatial Imagery Analytics Market Size Status and Forecast for 2025. Excellent. Spatial News. Now, Chris, you're English. Uh, yeah, thank you. And that means you invented football. Well, yeah, and rugby. Just want to point that out. Both, and both sports. And cricket. I mean, all the best sports we invented. Yeah. Which one of those are you good at? Uh, as, as a nation. I mean, not you personally. We, we know your sporting prowess knows no bounds. It, no bounds whatsoever. Um, which one? Well, which one's England good at? Yes. Well, I think in 1966, they were particularly good at one of them. <laughs> I think it was soccer. Since then, hmm, bit of a uh, yeah, not not quite a uh, such a good um, story. Uh, rugby, we're not bad at, you know. Cricket, we have our moments. Still quite good at that. Um, I can go on, but well, well, what's this got to do with anything we're talking about in this podcast, Mark? Well, you would have been following closely the World Cup. That oh, that FIFA thing in Russia. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and what made this World Cup special mm. uh, was it was the first time that. FIFA allowed GPS and location technology into the game. Wow. So, so my understanding is that it's allowed, and I mean, rugby does this all the time. Yeah. I've been doing it and too. many other sports do. Yeah. Um, but this was the first time it's allowed in a World Cup. So I, I presume it's done in the Premiership and other, other, um, leagues. other global leagues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what, what was interesting, Chris? Well, I particularly like the way that the GPS wobbled all about when Neymar dived. <laughs> it was all over the place. It was like, you know, you could track his rolling movements. I thought that was particularly interesting. No, okay, that's not in there, Mark. Yeah, but if they released it. I mean, that's a great call, call for open data there, Chris. <laughs> oh, kidding me. <laughs> How much time Neymar spent rolling around on the ground. Yeah. Hello uh, to all our Brazilian listeners. Um, uh what was the question? Sorry, I'm sorry. I've, I've just got visions of Neymar still rolling. There were some amazing dives, and it's just now in my head. Um, um, well, it was, it was that the location analysis, but they put in strict rules. So they put in that you only allowed three tablets with this information on it. So one at the uh, coach, one as an analyst, and the other one uh, for the medical people. Okay, and um, they were all watching kind of Fail Army, I imagine, on, on those devices? <laughs> uh, no, Chris, they were focused on the most important uh, football tournament in the world. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's interesting that, um, you know, it, it was the, the, you know, the first World Cup where they've, they've actually done it. I think you're right, you know, it's been, it's been in various Premier Leagues um, for a while. Um, but, yeah, it is the kind of thing that you wish you could see the results of, you know. Um, Such a geo-geek. Well, yeah, fair uh, enough. But something that rolled more than Neymar at the World Cup, Chris? The ball, Mark, the ball. The ball, the ball rolled more than Neymar, and that was a smart ball. Was it? It was. Why? Well, it had like a device in it. Yeah, it did. Hmm. Uh, so it gave instant feedback on power, spin, strike, and trajectory. 
Um, so yeah, lots of uh, new innovations there. And again, open data. Let's let's push for that next time at the at the Euros or maybe at FIFA. Uh, whatever's next one was FIFA twenty twenty two. Isn't that that's the one in Qatar? Isn't it? I don't know. I just wait for them to turn up. Um, <laughs> like buses. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe we should push for open data and and uh, <laughs> it can be lots more uh, geospatial memes about uh, rolling around on the floor. <laughs> Uh, shall we move on? Yep. Spatial news. Now, Chris, did we say how much we love a good survey? Uh, we did. And I just thought how uh, how nicely this story rolls on from the previous one. So, where you have uh, a bunch of people uh, playing sport, earning you know mega bucks, we now move on to the um, SLA salary survey 2018 results. Now, what's the SLA? The Society for Location Analysis, Mark. Uh huh. And so what have they done? Uh, well, I think every year they do a, a survey of, of you know, um, spatial practitioners, let's say, um, and they do one of those kind of salary surveys and benefits and, and tries to work out how much everybody's earning. Yeah, and um, I mean, this is, again, comparable to football players, right? Well, no, but yes, sure. I mean, people are earning thousands of pounds here, Chris. Yeah, but not per game or per <laughs> map. <laughs> Per hour. <laughs> or per hour, yeah. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, so, yeah, interesting salary survey, especially if you're based in the UK, because it's actually all UK information. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it transfers a little bit to other countries? Yeah, I'm sure. Just, you know. Um, yeah, why not? So, so Chris, you, know, you, you and I, well, especially you, advancing in age um, <laughs> and uh, nearing the top of your game, how much money would you expect to earn? Expect to, or, you know. Well, we're going to talk about how much you are earning. I mean, well, dividends from this podcast. Alone should, you know, keep me in. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know, but I could use this survey to find out, Mark. Yeah, so, you know, if you've, you know, if you're 50 to 54 years. Which um, I'm not. <laughs> thank you. You could be earning £154,000 a year. Could I? Which is quite significant money. I need to move back to the UK. <laughs> you too. And kind of, you know. Wait a decade. <laughs> or two. Or just one decade. Or half. Um, oh. You're so much older than me anyway. Yeah, looks are deceiving. Um, so, yeah, the other interesting thing, though, is the organization. So it's broken down automotive bank- banking consultancy, so the organization type, um, and what their average salary is. Um, and, yeah, you'd have to say... Maybe if you're in one of these industries, you should perhaps. Um, yeah, because the interesting thing, I think, be it is. Or look elsewhere. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, local government, sorry. Um, yeah, so local government didn't come out particularly well, did it? It was bottom of the list, I seem to. Uh, yeah. yeah, bottom yeah, of the list. Higher education, so tertiary institutions, universities. Uh, yeah, that's where you want to be, isn't it? It seems to be. Um, Mm. So, yeah, although we must admit, the, um, they only surveyed 180 people. Yeah, so it's not a huge number, but, you know, it, it, perhaps it's representative. Who knows? It is. But, uh, again, I'd say have a look at it. It's useful to know this information. Uh, uh, maybe yeah, worth totally. having a discussion with your manager. <laughs> with your boss, yeah. Or, or not, <laughs> depending <laughs> on what the averages tell you. Well, if you're in academia, yeah, don't have a discussion. <laughs> We're doing pretty well. Thanks very much. Spatial news. And speaking of careers, Chris. Uh, which we definitely were just then, weren't we? We were. Now, if you're a, um, if you're a budding geospatial person. Mm-hmm. Spatial. Uh, maybe emerging spatial professional. Maybe. Um, if you're considering a career as a geospatialist. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is only for New Zealand, but other countries could adopt it. Uh, there's a geospatial careers symposium. There is being uh, held in uh, in Auckland. Uh, when's that? That's the seventeenth of November. Yeah, I mean, and it's only eleven dollars to attend. Eleven New Zealand dollars. So if if you're in the UK, that's like four pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in the US, it's like five dollars. Um, I mean, and you've got the airfares on top of that, but it's kind of cheap. 
Now I'm just reading the description here. It says, come along and hear from some of New Zealand's most influential geospatial senior professionals. So we're speaking there, right? <laughs> oh, we might be broadcasting live from it, I believe. Sure, I, th- I think that's definitely something we should do. Um, so, yeah, um, I've spoken at a couple of these events. I haven't been asked to speak at this one so far, but, you know, <laughs> I'm sure it's about to happen. Um yeah, I think it's great that uh, so we have this uh, in New Zealand. We have the Emerging Spatial Professionals, and they run all these events for uh, you know to 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 kind of help you in your um, fledgling career. Yeah. I think yeah. it's great. It is good because it's all about contacts and networking, and um, and it's not about uh, the software. No, vendor agnostic. Yeah. So mm. yeah, um, we'll post the link to that if you're in another country and can't make it. Um, perhaps. Uh, Try to think of organising one yourself. Yeah, or just come here because it's really nice. Well, yeah, it's know. in November. It'll be nicer than it is now. Oh, that's true. It's oh. wet now. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mark, uh, that's all the uh, the news we have time for. It was, um, and now we're on to a great interview. So, who are we interviewing, Chris? Uh, well, we're interviewing uh, Abhishek and uh, uh, Sean. Um, who uh, developed Kepler GL? Yeah, so Sean is the lead developer, um, <laughs> instigator, uh, something like that. Who, um, who, yeah, put Kepler out there, and Abhishek's the uh, product manager. Yeah, um, and they're wanting to. Well, I don't know. They, I want to say they want from shout from the hills what great work they've done, and they should, and they should be proud. Oh, um, totally. And and I love the fact that we you know we 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 have the opportunity to to have you know great people on to talk about their work their work. Yeah, um, so it's really interview really really it really is an interview. It's really interesting um, to learn about what uh, what Uber are doing in data visualization and mapping, and why you know and why. Um, so with that, shall we get on with the interview? Uh, hello, and we've got Sean and Abhishek from Uber. Hello. Hey, how are you? Hey, we're good. Thanks for staying up late. Um, just saying before how we appreciate not having to get up at 5 a.m. to interview guests, but you guys are working late. Yeah, well, you know, <coughs> we, we're a pre-IPO company, so uh, <laughs> we can do to, to make us successful and our customers. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, shall we... Actually, let's get... Can you guys introduce yourself, or do you want to introduce each other? Is that better? We introduce ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, my name is Shan. I'm an engineer in the Uber data visualization team, and I'm the creator of Kepler GL. And uh, I'm Abhishek. I'm a uh, product manager here, so I work a lot on our uh, data products, external, internal products. These products tend to range from some of the visualization products that Shan has been talking about to you know, how we share data with cities and governments, with products like Uber Movement, things like that. And uh, I've been here for a little bit over three years. Cool. And what does your average day like? I mean, obviously, there's lots of interviews to do. (laughs) (laughs) When you're not doing interviewing, uh, what what, was get in early, work, lots of meetings? I think, yeah, for Abhishek, lots of meetings, product manager, that's what he does. Um, I just get in, <laughs> sit in my desk and code for the good part of my day. <laughs> okay, and which is more interesting, the meetings or the coding? I personally think coding would probably be more fun, um, <laughs> you know, but meetings, you know, it's uh, you become really good at meeting jujitsu. How do you schedule meetings? Uh, how do you have uh, your calendars blocked off for the right kind of work, things like that. But no, I think... I think um, you know, it's complementary work. You need to have meetings sometimes to, to get things going. But I also think that the coding is, is obviously the critical part. And, and if, if folks like Shan weren't here, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> my job would be irrelevant at that point, to be honest. So yeah. if it wasn't for so, Shan, I'd be sitting at home by myself, you know, not working. <laughs> so instead of get out of a meeting free card there for Shan to say, hey, I've got a code. I can't go to your meeting. Yeah, or just like um, if there's any meeting, put Abhishek on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think sometimes the engineers think uh, what <clears throat> it's. 
by adding me, uh, the virtue of adding me means that I'm just going to be the guy running the meeting as opposed to the guy who gets to go and sit and work for once. <laughs> Pretty cool. Okay, so Kepler GL and data visualization. It seems to be, uh, I suppose, out of the blue from Uber. Like, it's not a mainstream what you'd think of Uber doing as a um, transportation technology company. What? How, how is it so important to Uber? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think, um, you know, you're talking a little bit about why, you know, why do we release Kepler and, um, you yeah. know, what, what is it about visualization in general? I mean, for us, it's visualization is, you know, fundamental to us making decisions. Um, you know, we're a real-time spatio-temporal business. We need strong data viz to really provide you know, ultimately a better service to our riders, drivers, eaters, cities, um, you know, all of which are key, key, key to making us a better product. And, you know, I think the the mandate internally is that great visualization, it's a, it's a good wake-up call. It's a, it's a great call to action because it shows us also how can we fix the problem. And our Viz team, you know, the one that Shan and I are, are generally part of, it works across the entire company. I mean, we're we're building products. Um, you know, there isn't a team that we have an interface that we don't have some connection with. We're all really about actually building useful products that drive business impact and enable insight for the company. Um, you know, these can be products ranging from, you know, a suite of BI products to, you know, machine learning visualization to self-driving cars to, uh, machine, um, you know, augmented reality. The open source actually just happens to be an outcome of all of that. So we're fundamentally focused on actually making useful products, you know, internally and externally. Um, you can check out much of our stuff on biz.gl. But the open source is actually an outcome. Uh, I think okay. I think it's it's uh, it's definitely part of the engine of the team and it's part of the ethos of the team. But I do think that we're really about how do we make up use visualization to drive better business decisions at the company. Yeah. So, which was it an aha moment from from an exec who said, you know what, we need some way to uh, see this stuff in some sort of location type uh, framework, or was it a ground up? People are going, hey, look, I did, I did you this visualization. Um, I'm just asking because I'd like to do the same in my company. <laughs> I think uh, you need an aha moment. It's it's usually like you show the exact sum visualization you did, and then he came to that aha moment. And in that part, it's important because being able to show people what data looks like really helps us branding um, our team, like, you help them understand why visualization is important. And yeah. a lot of framework stuff is actually also ground up, actually, because we have to build a lot of tools. And then we realize, you know, for us to better at building tools, we need to have the set of frameworks so everyone can use to, to keep building more tools. So I guess um, we've talked a little bit about Kepler GL, um, but you have a whole range of different visualizers visualization tools so there's DeckGL, React mm -hmm. Map, Kepler, GL and, and H3 which is, is kind of related. How do those various kind of tools fit together? Yeah so um, I think from the bottom level if you are a developer you want to build just a map and then with React all you need is just uh, React Map GL and um, if you want to add more visualization layer with your data on top of your base map um, you uh, use DECGL because DECGL is a visualization layer management manager. It helps you um, adding data on top of your base map. Mm -hmm. And Kepler is actually for you know non-developers who don't want to write those JavaScript code. Who you know just they just want to use a tool by clicking a couple of buttons. They can play around with any type of geospatial data and then generate these beautiful maps. Um, okay. And H3, yeah. um, that, H looks, that looks really interesting. So this H3 is um, uh, the, the full name, uh, Hexagonal uh, Hierarchical Geospatial Indexing System. So basically, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to look at the exact word to read it. So um, <laughs> basically, H3 is a geospatial indexing system. It helps you develop, uh, divide the whole globe into this hex hexagon system and then it makes it super easy to you can subdivide 
um, into more finer and finer hex, uh, hexagon grids. And then basically it's kind of a tool for geospatial analysis to uh, use it to uh, plot uh, geospatial information on it. Okay. So just as a geek question, why a hexagon? Um, it tessellate, Mark. Yeah, it tessellates better. Uh, hexagon has six edges, you know, compared to grid, which, you know, it has four corners and it's, um, it's better to cal- it, it's easier to calculate the neighboring hexagon from your current hexagon than I, I guess a grid system. There's a whole paper about it, but I was going <laughs> to say it's the most technical my... <laughs> we've got on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so, if you're a GIS person, um, which we may or may not be, um, how do you? How would what? What's our interest? Why would we be interested? in uh, what Uber are releasing. You mean, um, so, uh, your question is, <clears throat> why is the work that we do relevant for a, for a GIS company or a GIS user? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, it's <clears throat> the question you're fundamentally asking is, you know, why is the work that we do important and, you know, how is it different? Um, and I think one of the things you have to understand, I think, is uh, for us, you know, we're we're you know, we're not just open sourcing. Um, you know, the the data that we do that we share as part of our products, but we also think of the work that we do, the tools that we build, the internal products. Um, they're critical to our success as a you know as a transportation technology provider. I mean, I think with things like Kepler, you know, we saw many transportation companies and and competitors we won't name you know leverage it. And you know, we did a meetup recently here with Mapbox, where you know Lime, the scooter company. It was a speaker kind of talking about their use for us or use of, a, of Kepler and, and related products. So, so it's very important for us actually to why we do this. Um, you know, it helps us sort of establish a standard in a growing industry. It helps us kind of establish the tech uh, quality and the brand of the, of the team. It helps us sort of recruit the right talent and, and you know, hire the, the best folks. You know, I think we have a world-class visualization team and I think it only continues kind of talking about the, the strengths of the team. But then secondly, we're also really about the community. You know, I think you know, if you're a GIS person, you're a location person, you're in a general geospatial community. And we, being a, uh, you know, given how critical geospatial is to us as a business, I think we want to contribute back to it as well. It goes back to being able to say that, you know, we want others to add their capabilities on top of our stack. We want to grow the overall industry. And then, of course, I think, you know, this This is a growing industry, like the amount of data that we collect, um, you know, sorry, you know, the amount of data that is collected by you know, mobile phones and, and all kinds of sensors now, it's a growing intelligence industry, right? And so I think mm-hmm. there's a, a good opportunity here for us to inspire, you know, non-technical users. Um, yeah. There's a good way to sort of be able to say that if you're, even if you don't have the expertise in GIS, there's still a solution for you. To, to have a simple to use, easy to get started product. And I think that's the beauty of Kepler is that, you know, you don't have to be a expert in the, in the field of location intelligence or, or have a GIS background. If you have some data and you want to do some analysis, you know, you can use the product. And luckily with Kepler, it's, it's you know, we're not doing it. We're not storing your data. It's all uh, protected. So you don't have to worry about that. And you can kind of focus on, you're really building a beautiful data-driven map. If you go on Twitter and just search, you know, hashtag KeplerGL, you'll see some some wonderful visualizations that folks have shared about kind of the analyses and, and things that they've been doing. I think that's exactly the kind of thing we want to do is we want to grow that industry and we want to move the the community forward by having given people an opportunity to actually share some of the work or the interesting analyses and things that they've done. Do you find, uh, I don't know whether you know or not, but do you find that um, the people who are using Kepler GL, do you, do you kind of have a feel for who they are? Are they kind of your weekend warrior kind of GIC people or you know, coders who, who like to play? Or are they, you know, are you seeing companies using it as well? It's, yeah, it's, it's actually uh, across the spectrum. I mean, we're seeing, you know, the usage for being not just folks who are enthusiasts, right? People who, who do this kind of for, for fun, but uh, you know, legitimate companies that are using it. I think we, in our in our blog post, we talked about a few of our, um, you know, various transportation consulting companies using it. We're seeing some of our competitors use it across transportation. We're seeing a real adoption of it as a as a standard. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, we work with companies like vendors like Mapbox or 
um, you know, other mapping companies that, that use the, the tech behind it as well. So the beauty of Kepler is also that it's not just a, uh, you know, it's not just a application, it's also a framework. So if you as a company want to, if you're a developer and you want to build an application with the framework embedded into some other kind of internal app or external app that you have that's doing some sort of analysis, you can do, that's the beauty of it. And so I think the usage of it is, is not just Zuzis, as I mentioned, but it's folks from uh, companies, developers, it's uh, data scientists. We're seeing a lot of um, sort of data journalists pick it up as well. So I think that's the that's generally the real value that you're driving is there's a lot more adoption. Mm-hmm. So just on a side note, do you have any um, rules in there to stop data journalists making exaggerated maps that look very bad? <sighs> uh, I mean, so. we have a rule to stop them making bad-looking maps. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, we've, we've we've had a few gripes on this um on this podcast about some data journalists who um seem to work for more tabloid type paper <laughs> or tabloid information than uh, real information. But anyway, digression. So we've mentioned uh, open source numerous times, and you know you've made the decision to to kind of put Kepler and and uh, you know other parts of that kind of platform or environment uh, into the open source community. Um, what was that decision like? Was it kind of a I don't know. Was it an epiphany? Was it something you're giving back to the community? Was it... Um, or was it a fight internally? Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, you know, I think it, it, it's a good question. Um, I think it was definitely a, a bit of an aha moment we had um, about a year or two ago. It's... <clears throat> it wasn't... You know, I don't think it was a it was a fight. I think it's... We're... We have a pretty strong culture internally about making sure a lot of the tech that we build, a lot of the uh, work that we do, we we use it to give back to the community. And so I think the internal mindset was, this is a great idea. We should make it happen. We, like I said, the team is really about building useful products. So as long as we're not really taking away from sort of doing things that are uh, slowing down, uh, slowing us down from kind of hitting our business goals and things like that, I think it's it's definitely with that. But I think the beauty of open sourcing is also that, you know, it's like once you start contributing externally, you also have a conduit to receive external contributions back to your work as well. And we're seeing a lot of contributions come into Kepler. And so I think it was the right decision. Uh, there's been a lot of um, internal sort of support and success for it. And, and as you've seen, you know, since we have open source other technology, other frameworks like DeckGL, um, H3S channel was mentioning, you know, some more things down the pipeline. I think it's it just speaks to kind of the culture of the of the of the company and the team that we're really about building as much open tech as possible, especially if you want to become a uh, you know a leader in, in 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 technology as a whole. Yeah, and Sean, you um, you've got a quote out there. It says talks about exposing your coat hangers and duct tape when it comes to your code. Was that slightly scary? Because um, I know a lot of um, developers do use duct tape and coat hangers just to get it across the line. Was it like extra late nights for you and going, oh, heck, someone's going to review this? Yeah, uh, obviously. So when I decided to um, open source it, basically I have to rewrite the entire thing. Um, <laughs> Be- because? Um, <laughs> no, not, not because it was duct tape and, um, and code hangers. <laughs> it's just uh, I want everything to be like shiny and bright and new. Yeah. Um, and, and also, like, whenever you build, like, a visualization tool, right, people always care about, oh, how does it look like? If it looks cool on your screen, they don't really care what is behind it. But I think we want to, we really want to build, like, a very strong technical branding. We want people to know, like, uh, you know, the visualization team at Uber really advanced in building, like, this kind of geospatial frameworks. So we hold yeah. up to a really high standard. So that so it would have been instead of the out, the outcome you're looking for wasn't just a good product, but something that actually looks good under the hood. Yeah, and then we also want to share uh, shares you know some of the technique we use in our code. How do we build like a high performance product? You know, people can learn from you know the way that we build uh, mapping applications. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, congratulations on achieving that because the receptions is was quite high. I mean, it's, it's, as you say, it's been well, there's been a lot of uptake of it. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting too. Like, I basically, I religiously look for hashtag coverage on Twitter every day. It just, you just really <laughs> want to see what people created using it. 
So that, that makes you even braver that you're reading the comments. I mean, it's always <laughs> <laughs> the first thing you, you never do is check the comments. <laughs> yeah, so far has been pretty positive. So well, we also do a lot of outreach, um, you know, to Kepler and other users of our this uh, capabilities and other open source products here because I think you have to treat it like a real product, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's not just a thing you put out there with you know with with great code you have to treat it with care you have to maintain it you have to enhance it you have to see what people are saying how they're using it and you know be able to to take the product continue iterating and improving the product so i think you know reading the reading the comments is important i think doing something about it is equally important so you kind of um alluded to a a few times here about you know uber giving back to the community um and and I guess you don't first think about it in that way, but clearly Uber is part of that spatial community. Um, you know, and, and you can kind of, you know, see that having this conversation now, you can see how important it is to you. Um, the community gives back. You kind of mentioned that in terms of the open source, you know, feeding back ideas in, in, into open source. So do you think that, you know, that that's kind of the role of Uber to, uh, to engage more with that community in the future? Um, yeah, so, <clears throat> I mean, we have already built, like, an entire tech stack of uh, visualization frameworks that, uh, you know, location intelligent community can use to build their own application. And then if you ask anyone, like, building applications, they probably know DECGL and probably know, okay, Uber visualization team created it. And then the result that we were able to create that such strong um, awareness inside the community is very, quite uh, rewarding plus i also think there's a there's real value in engaging because as part of engagement we're also democratizing access and the more you know if you as we've been talking about location television gis as a whole you know given the amount of sensors and, and how much information is collected now and of course all of that is privately anonymized and aggregated and um you know everyone's privacy is is held in the highest regard um i think the more tools you can put out there, the more information is available at people's fingertips, the more access you give. And that only makes the overall community and industry move forward. So I think the the way we think about it is, um, you know, if we're, if we're helping other folks kind of get started in the industry with products like Kepler, then then it's then it's a great sign. And if we're seeing the uptake, then that's the kind of things that we want to be doing um, moving forward. Yeah. So... Um, Sean, your background isn't, or I don't think either of your, um, Afshik or Sean, your background is, isn't location intelligence, right? You're not, uh, well, a lot of people we talked to on this podcast sort of grew up loving geography and then found mapping as a way to, you know, do geography and have a job. Um, but your guys' <laughs> backgrounds are, are different, right? Did you have to learn... The importance of spatial like was it sort of a light bulb moment mm-hmm. you know hey i've been now living my life without maps or was it always an interest i mean mine is not that far so my background is in architecture and then in architecture you learn like urban planning you learn um urban um urban design so um uh, i think uh, from architecture, I learned this kind of geospatial system thinking. So I'm pretty good at reading maps. <laughs> but I also care care about like the actual physics, spatial uh, build environment and how you know human interaction, uh, human uh, activities interact with the with the spatial system. So I think that's from for my interests. Um, and then it just make it like kind of a clear path for me to go into visualization and really do some geospatial visualization type of work. Yeah, and Abhishek. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I don't have a you know I don't definitely don't have a background in in maps, <laughs> but I've always had a deep interest. Uh, I remember when I was my first. I used to you know make a lot of art when I was a child, and I remember one of the first things I drew was a map of, uh, if you ever read that book, Around the World in 80 Days, you know, the main yeah. character, mm-hmm. Phineas Fogg, I think, you know, basically travels yeah. the world in 79 to 80 days, depending on how you calculate it. And uh, I think one of the first things I did, you know, when I was about five years old was make a map of his travels. So yeah, uh, to me, maps have always been super interesting, super special. And, you know, they're one of the oldest artifacts that humans have ever made since 
you know, we've been able to make maps and that's literally one of the the professions that's been sticking around the longest and our <laughs> maps keep getting more and more, um, you know, down to the uh, centimeter, millimeter precision. They keep getting more and more precise. They keep getting more and more important for, uh, you know, for as we want to do more things as humans. So I think for me, they've always been very important. Uh, I have always had a special place in my heart. I just, <clears throat> this is the, one of the first times I've actually found a, uh, a role where I can work on maps in, in some respect without also, while also, of course, working on making it part of my day-to-day job. Yeah, so just picking up on, on that, the map nowadays, I mean, we have a saying on the podcast, get off the map, um, because geospatial people just love producing maps, and yet location intelligence and visualization is more than putting it on a map. Um, do you think that traditional geospatial companies have sort of failed to capture the market in getting off the map um, and actually looking at the the functionality and the benefits of doing spatial analysis and data visualization? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know if they've failed to market. I think it's more maybe the domain has grown so dramatically and it's become just far, far more competitive you know, because uh, you know, just because of what what has been going on, right? So I think I think we think of location analytics, visualization intelligence, almost as this natural evolution of of GIS. You know, GIS in the past has been a very domain specific role or function. You know, that you, you think of it as a you know an environmental agency or a government agency really caring about it. But with the the, the amount of data that's being collected today, I think it's more important now more than ever to actually pay attention. I think. Location intelligence now incorporates, you know, open data, real-time data streams, data sets from all kinds of, you know, internet systems, devices, and sensors. And so uh, this kind of enables all kinds of all kinds of new and interesting kind of use cases on top of it. You can do, you know, ML work, like spatial clustering, you know, routing. But I think the value of this has also become that now it's become a very, almost a core competency, like being able to work with, location-based data. You know, more people need access to the data within an organization. I think more people are also willing to learn and you have the right tools in place to help them with that. So I, don't, I think it's just become a, a bigger, larger industry that, and, and it's frankly like probably the right thing because, you know, like as, as mainframes evolve to personal computers, everything evolves in some natural degree. So I think this is almost like the right kind of evolution that we're seeing take place. Yeah. Um. And so Uber chose to build their own tools. Um, is that because the market or options in the market wasn't there or the, what you were doing was, um, was more special or required your own view on it? Yeah, I think, I think you're right there. I think, I think we, <clears throat> it required our own view on it. I think we have, a, we have a really talented set of people here. And so I think we looked at some of the things that we wanted to achieve on it and thought, well, there, there are a great amount of products in the market, but we should definitely be able to solve some of our own internal use cases, given some of the capabilities that we have. And some of our use cases are specialized. I obviously can't go into you know, a ton of detail about them, but they're specialized enough that we thought it's more important for us to build our own capabilities in the space than, than try to find an external product and see if it fits kind of our needs, you know, we don't really control the roadmap that way. We don't control the capabilities we want to add to it. So I think yeah. from a uh, kind of extra understanding the market standpoint, we just realize that it's better for us to do it ourselves. And, and we've been happy with that decision. And of course, we also use third party products internally. That's not to say that we don't, we don't have a need for them. But I think it's we found that there's a for some of our use cases better to build versus buy. Yeah. Hmm. Yep, and Ashant, we were looking at um, you know stalking you on LinkedIn, etc. <laughs> <laughs> and your your history, oh, uh, you know, being trained as an architect um, for seven years, and then um, I don't know, seeing the light and coming to to mapping. Let's say, <laughs> just for our audience, you know, makes it sound good. Um, but people talk in architecture about inspiration. Um, we've got you know Gaudi, Hadid, etc. Who, who people get architecture um, and they get inspiration from the architecture what's your inspiration for data visualization oh that's a great question um i actually um 
I'm a huge fan of Zaha Hadid when I was studying architecture. Um, I just really loved how he she can create pure flames using like just white color, and it's unimaginable how beautiful the frame form can be. So I started by like you know write try to writing code to generate those beautiful forms, and then I would say Zaha Hadid is how is who like introduced me of using code to create physical shapes. Um, personally, also like Gaudi a lot. Um, you know, Gaudi building shapes to mimic the living organisms, mm-hmm. and his use of color in you know the parkour and the on the mosaic of parkour is is always my you know a beautiful thing to look at. Yeah. So Tim's bringing that to the the map or to the visualization. How does that? Um you're taking the forms and functions you've got from architecture mm-hmm. into the map? I think it helps me to imagine like what kind of forms do I use to represent data on top of a map, right? <clears throat> I think um, we, we want to visualize data that is like actually not physical form. We want to visualize like GPS location data. We want to visualize human movement. And then we need to imagine what kind of shapes can we create, can we use to better represent that kind of abstract information. So, you know, looking at Gaudi's design, how he created this beautiful form to, to represent a living organism, it's, it's an inspiration for me. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting, I find, yeah. I've never really thought of... I haven't really tied architecture and mapping together in a way, but listening to you talk, you can you know you you can kind of clearly see where where those two things meet. Um, mm-hmm. I went to university in Sheffield, and there we had uh, a whole bunch of you know buildings that were Le Corbusier, you know that kind of streets in the sky kind of mentality. And you know when you start looking at kind of three D, you know that kind of concept of of moving into a three D space. Um, I think kind of really holds true for, for data visualization as well. Um, I, I guess a, a question for both of you, kind of off the back of this, really. So you know, Uber's kind of known as a disruptive force in the transportation industry. As, as data visualization become disruptive, is what you're doing kind of disruptive in that space as well? Um, I don't think it's disruptive. I would rather say it's a new in innovation. Because if you look at traditional map industry, everyone is just looking at flat 2D maps that shows you where the streets are, where the buildings are, where the trees are. Uh, but we are doing maps that are actually showing you know, 3D arcs <clears throat> to connect a start and end of a trips. So we're using all kinds of 3D elements and, and a new way of interaction with the map to show something like more closely related to your day-to-day life. So yeah, to me, it's... Do you think that's disruptive or it's more like inspirational? <laughs> well, I suppose the di- disruption is coming, well, maybe aiming in terms of turning the industry on its head. Um, mm-hmm. Right. As you say, well, you've described it um, perfectly in that it's not disruptive. It, it's just almost evolutionary. Exactly. And going, taking it from the, the 2D flat map into something that um, is easier to understand and comprehend. Exactly. I mean, I think, I think the term disruptive, you know, gets thrown around well around in the negative <laughs> yes. sense. I, mean, I don't think we think of it that way. We want to we want to solve problems using data visualization by building products, you know, by giving people more access and growing the general demand for the space. I think Heckler is such a great example of this, right? It's democratizing access. Anyone can now build a beautiful data-driven map in minutes. If you're a developer, you can build an application. So I don't think we're trying to displace, you know, existing companies. Um, I think by, <clears throat> I think w- what we're trying to say is there's a, uh, we think the thesis is really that this is so important and, you know, there's a slew of capabilities that are things people can be doing with these kind of products. Why not provide some of them for free? Because we think that it helps the overall industry move forward, right? It's, it's, it's evolutionary as we've been kind of talking about. So so the more we can democratize access, the more we can take from 2D to 3D. I think that only helps everyone. And so you, yeah, you're you're disrupting it, but I think you're doing it in a positive sense. Oh, I think disruptive is a positive. 
course. <laughs> you know, I, I think it is. You know, it's. Uh, you know, I, I don't use the term as a negative at all. I think it's it's a really positive thing that you know that's, that disruptive, changing evolution you know br- brings to the uh, brings wow. to the picture. Sure, I just try not to use it because it is overused. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, oh look, this is disruptive. It's like, actually, no, it's not. It's uh, yeah. Stop with the buzzwords. Um, so we have a, a lot of listeners who are um. Let's call them mapping analysts or mapping specialists. Um, and we keep, well, thanks to other people outside the industry, they keep bringing in these new terms. Um, so location intelligence, spatial, uh, spatial analysis has been around for a while. Um, data science, and you're talking about data visualization. Do you think the traditional um, you know, person in the GIS department, do they need to broaden broaden their horizons more and, and you know get away from making the maps or should they just change their job titles <laughs> right. uh, yeah I think you're asking the question of you know what's going on with uh, you know with, with folks who come from this traditional sort of background that we've been talking about I think it just goes back to what we've been saying right? the industry is changing um, the amount of data and, and tools available is, is growing I don't think the domain expertise or the importance is going away um, you know, I think in, with the amount and the growth of kind of the data that's being collected, people with, you know, traditional GIS backgrounds are actually, I think, equally important, if not more, just because it's becoming more co- core competency for companies, right? Mapping is so important now for many growing industries. If you kind of look on the horizon, self-driving, augmented reality, um, I think <clears throat> you could apply those use cases to, you know, government governments even further, I mean, each mobile device is collecting so much more useful information now. So I think making sense of it all is so important. And, you know, you could argue that if you looked at the lens of being a, you know, uh, you just, you know, people don't have access to to information anymore, then yes, you could say that their jobs are being disrupted. But I think in reality, it's becoming so important that I think, you know, any sort of GIS person will realize that they just have to keep growing with the industry to, to stay relevant. And I think you also see that, you know, BI folks, folks who have been traditionally more BI focused are also doing more and more work around location-based intelligence or more work around GIS. So I think it's going hand-in-hand hand around the idea of data as a whole for the last decade or so has become so much more widely available that it's the as a whole we're moving positively forward. So uh, I don't think they're being marginalized. <laughs> no, but you are saying sort of understand what they, they do and, and um, well, their capabilities and what their knowledge is for the industry expertise. Um, so if you were applying for a job at Uber, you wouldn't just write, I can make um, GIS maps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I think we, I'm, I'm sure we must be hiring GIS <laughs> folks. We're hiring data scientists. I think it's all in such a related term, related area. I mean, one of the things with Kepler was, you know, it, a lot of our users for Kepler that, that use it internally, again, don't have a GIS background. And so they tend to be folks from more traditional data science kind of domains who need to do location-based work as part of their job. And so, you know, just going back to my point earlier that it's becoming a core competency. And I think, you know, you can use it to kick off a more GIS type of career, or you can say, you know, with some of the tools that are available out there today that you can switch back between roles without it feeling like you're you're switching uh, industries completely. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, so just speaking of, you know, future and the work you're doing, um, are there any um, secret projects that you uh, can't tell us about? Uh, I don't know of any. Shan, do you? <laughs> Um, my secret project nowadays is just uh, answering issue tickets on Kepler GitHub page. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that sounds sad. <laughs> well, I mean, it's good that people think you're relevant, right? They have <laughs> each request. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, well, some of the requests are actually pretty inspirational, inspirational, and then I was like, yes, maybe yeah. we should just build it. <laughs> uh, I, I think we're always working on really interesting stuff, and it's the, you know, we can't talk about it too much right now, but I'm sure maybe in the future we'd love to come back and sit about some of the things that we do have in the pipeline. I think we'll, we, like I said, we have a really big 
open source culture on the team. So we have some more things in the pipeline that we're working on that we would love to talk about externally, you know, when the time comes. And yeah. I think there'll be some really exciting things, you know, that, that hope, you know, hopefully are going to be as impactful as Kepler and really help kind of continue moving the industry forward. Yeah, that would be really good. Um, so just wrapping up in terms of Uber, um, do you guys get free Uber rides? Yes, no. Yeah, as employees, we get credits. So yeah. you know, it's up to you to, to depending on where you, what country you're in, and uh, when you started the company. There's there's a varying range, but I think it's one of the one of the best perks. And so yeah. it's up to you to choose how to use them. And and Sean, you just got a promotion. Does that mean you get Uber <laughs> Black now? <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you, you have, you need a special manager approval <laughs> across Uber Black um, company time. And when you do get an Uber ride, do you say you work for Uber? Oh, I will always honestly say that I work for Uber, but, oh, but then I will add that, but I don't work on the app. So <laughs> I can't take feature requests. <laughs> I, I think I think talking to drivers is is one of the best uh, parts about being at Uber. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think you can do that if you're you know not an employee also. But learning some of their stories, why they drive, why it's so important for them, you know, it always goes back to kind of reaffirm the the value of Uber. I think you know beyond the rider side, I think for drivers, it's it's so critical for some of them for some of the roles that they play or the <clears throat> how it's helped them kind of. Uh, achieve some of their financial independence so i think it's it's definitely one of the best parts about working here just getting to talk to them yeah and and for uber and this is specifically for chris what's your uber rating and can you um improve someone's you know hack into the back of a database and improve someone who may have got some bad ratings no bad ratings um i have a theory i think the more you write the lower your <laughs> rating will be <laughs> or like i ride uber twice a day and always ride into like m- middle of the traffic so my uber driver sometimes can be grumpy just because i asked him to bring me right into downtown <laughs> and stuck in traffic for like 20 minutes so you know i'm a polite person but my rating isn't that high <laughs> Uh, you know, I have a long history. Uh, Shan's theory might be right. I mean, I, I was before I worked for Uber. I was using it since very early 2011. So my history of, of Uber ratings has ebbed and flowed depending on. <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, we definitely we definitely don't have access to that kind of information. <laughs> nor nor can we do such things as employees and. Uh, I think it's it's wrong if anyone does that too, and I mean, the company really adheres to the strongest kind of data privacy beliefs. Just to be clear, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to stick with my rating then, Mark. You are, and you learn to be more polite. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, brilliant. Well, thank you very much um, for talking to us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you yeah. guys. Yeah. It's been awesome. Yeah, we've really um, appreciated your insights and also, um, I suppose, the energy um, that you, or you brought to the interview, but also the bringing to the market. Um, yeah, you're setting up geospatial into a, a whole new world or putting the energy into it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We're, we're very excited to contribute. And, you know, we, we love being a part of the community. We also love to hear back from the community. So, um, you know, for folks out there, you should always feel free to reach us. You can always find us how on Kepler.gl or Viz.gl. Um, so, so, yeah, thank you for having us as well. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Well, there you go, Mark. Great interview, Chris. That was awesome, wasn't it? <laughs> well, we should say great interview for Abhishek and uh, Sean. Yeah, you know, when you, when you interview people and you just go, you know, you're, you're kind of going, well... One, these people are really, really interesting, and uh, two, so much smarter than we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully that wasn't too obvious in it, um, but yeah, well, but what what we like doing with interviews is discovering new information, and they've just shed a whole lot of light mm-hmm. on on data visualization, geospatial analysis, um, and a bunch of stuff that again adds to adds to the melting pot of what we're trying to do on this podcast. Yeah, totally. And I think it also highlights how, you know, 
there is there's so much room and opportunity for um, for location analytics and, and spatial analysis and you know uh, in this case they decided to build it themselves which I think is awesome but and also Silicon Valley's appetite mm. for location intelligence yeah absolutely yeah um, so with that Chris it's been a great podcast well I think that interview kind of tops off our uh, our 50th uh, episode celebrations um, now I'm going to go off and I'm going to grab a beer and well you know <laughs> drink it by myself okay thank you for listening uh, audience members and um, and please continue to get in touch with us on our facebook on uh, twitter on gmail yeah absolutely yeah um, go on our website and leave a comment um after an episode post that'd be awesome yeah and uh, with that chris uh, good night uh yeah good night mark and uh good night listeners <laughs>